3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Hello, hello. Thanks for bearing with us with our slightly delayed show, um, but we still have a lovely show for us today. We're listening to... 3 Seattle Thursday breakfast at 8.55 a.m. Hello, Leela. Hello. I'm in a strangely good mood this morning, which I feel kind of guilty about. We had some... Isn't that a terrible sign when you feel guilty about being in a good mood when the world is just kind of falling apart? I think it's but a good thing. It is a good thing. you you got to keep going. Um, we had some technical issues, but I'm happy to be on air now. So good morning, everybody, and thanks for joining us. Um, I thought we'll go into a quick rundown now of what we're going to be hearing this morning. So first up, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Kat Kutai, who's joining us to unpack why relocation is not the answer for communities in flood-prone areas. Kat is descended from seafarers of Celtic and Aboriginal origin. She works with Aboriginal communities for online learning, for online language learning and story sharing as a way for Aboriginal culture and knowledge to be acknowledged and integrated into Australian engineering approaches. Then we are going to be hearing a uh, pre-record, a replay from Annie McLaughlin's Solidarity Breakfast. This is a recording for the, for, from the pro-trans anti-fascist rally held last Saturday, the 25th of March. And we're going to be hearing from two speakers at the rally, Ros Ward, co-founder of Safe Schools Coalition Victoria, and Andy Medic, former MP, support, supporter of LGBTI rights and a parent of trans children and activist. And then we'll be hearing from Priyanka Ashraf, who is a Muslim woman from Bangladesh, who previously worked as a lawyer before transitioning into technology and entrepreneurship in establishing the Creative Cooperative, or the COO, which is the first 100% women-owned, co-led and operated social enterprise in Australia, working to close the intersectional and intergenerational wealth gap by supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, black and women of colour in sharing um, shared economic power and improving access to mental health and well-being. And she joins us to speak about a initiative, Maya Cares, which is an online platform where users can report racism as well as get access to an entire library of culturally appropriate resources and services, including various risks um, of culturally appropriate counsellors. So uh, we'll be right back and then we'll bring you a bit of news. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. These are the news headlines for Thursday the 30th of March. First Nations people in the Eastern Ma Nation are celebrating the handback of more than 8,500 square kilometres of their lands, an area that includes tw- the Twelve Apostles. 
The successful native title determination marks the end of decades of advocacy by Eastern Ma peoples. There is, this is only the fifth successful native title claim in Victoria's history and the first granted in 10 years. The Federal Court assesses native title claims and recognises only those that can show an unbroken continuation of culture reaching back to pre-colonisation. In other news, in an outrage that sparked outrage, senior Wurundjeri elder Auntie Joy Murphy Wanden was stopped from performing a Welcome to Country ceremony at Barack Obama's event held here last night. The Wurundjeri Wurrung Cultural Heritage Aboriginal Corporation says the move has caused deep offence to First Nations people. The former US president has been touring Australia for international speaking events, and Auntie Joy Murphy was originally asked to open the Salt Out Nam event before being removed from proceedings. The event organiser's growth facility reportedly claimed that the highly respected senior Wurundjeri elder was, quote, too difficult because appropriate accommodations for a support person were sought, as well as requests to provide Mr. Obama with a gift, as per cultural practice. Also in the headlines, Amnesty International has released a new report accusing Australia of human rights double standards and turning a blind eye to issues in the country. The global report highlights overrepresentation of First Nations people in Australian prisons and rates of deaths in custody, as well as abuse of refugee rights and lack of climate action. Also highlighted in the report were increased restrictions on the right to peaceful protest in several states and the blocking of a recent UN anti-torture body visit Australian prisons. And finally in these headlines... A historic application has been lodged to save the critically endangered stonefly in a move that could set a major precedent for the protection of threatened wildlife in Victoria. The Victorian National Parks Association has made the first formal submission for the Mount Donna Buang wingless stonefly to be listed under critical habitat determination provisions. This flightless stonefly exists nowhere else in the world and advocates say it is at risk of extinction. If its habitat in the forest and mountain streams on Mountain Donabuang are disrupted by a proposed mountain biking trail. These have been the news headlines for Thursday the 30th of March. You're listening to 3CR on 855 AM. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, Aha, mm-hmm. sexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ujoma Umbinyo Diaspora Blues What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? 
Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Ayan every Monday at 2:30 p.m. on 3CR Community Radio. Published or Not has been on air for over 20 years. And in that time, it's been hosted by Jan Goldsmith. Well, just recently, over the last seven years, I've been joined by David McLean. We'll be talking about text, discussing words and ideas. With local authors, authors from interstate, or sometimes even from other countries. You can stream it live or find it on your favourite podcast app. So join us... Every Thursday at 11.30 on 3CR. I've been working on my rewrite, that's right. I'm going to change the ending. Going to throw away my title and toss it in the trash. This Friday is Trans Day of Visibility. After recent transphobic events in our city, we say enough is enough. Come to Transgender Day of Visibility Rally, now Melbourne, and reclaim our streets. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday for the March Through the City and Show of Strength and Resilience. Let's make this biggest rally for trans rights and the country has ever seen. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday for Trans Day of Visibility. For more information, contact the Victorian Pride Lobby via Facebook or email info at vicpridelobby.org.au. See you there. your fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose? The Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital are recruiting participants aged 18 years or older to receive a randomized fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose, either Moderna bivalent or Novavax vaccine, or be part of a control group and receive no additional vaccine. You will be compensated for your time and transport and will receive your antibody test results. For more information, contact covid.booster at mcri.edu.au. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute is a 3CR supporter. Would you like to reduce your risk of dementia? The Better Brains trial aims to discover whether targeted lifestyle changes can prevent memory decline in Australian adults. Participants aged 40 to 70 with a family history of dementia are allocated to receive health coaching from an allied health professional or health education materials about dementia and its risk factors. The trial is run entirely online, so visit www.betterbrains.org.au to sign up now. Better Brains is a 3CR supporter. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Come and at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. 
services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together. Worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. First Nations people were and are the first engineers on this continent. It is crucial that this knowledge is centred in all land management decision making. Today, Dr Kat Kutai is joining us to unpack why relocation is not the answer for communities in flood prone areas. Kat is descended from seafarers of Aboriginal and Celtic origin. She works with Aboriginal communities for online language learning and story sharing as a way for Aboriginal culture and knowledge to be acknowledged and integrated into Australian engineering approaches. Good morning, Kat. Thanks for joining us so early. I know it's 6am over there in Darwin. Having me, yes, it is early, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate um, you being up and verbal at this time. So I thought maybe we could start by um, you just telling me a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do. Um, I work at Charles Darwin University. We um, cover TAFE and higher ed, and so I'm working with uh, getting TAFE units for students who are literate in English and often innumerate, but have their speak their own language. And so we're looking at audiovisual material in um, virtual and mixed reality, and also higher education courses for those with little background in technical subjects, where they can um, do gaming or something to introduce them into programming. We're hoping for a lot of programmers. But also just generally introducing Indigenous knowledge into the unit, so sustainability from an Aboriginal approach is often much more holistic and more effective. So, yeah. Right, that sounds like really interesting work. Thanks for giving us that bit of background. Um, and going into what we're here to talk about today, which is relocation of communities in flood-prone areas, I want to foreground this discussion um, with a recontextualization of engineering. Could you speak to the long tradition of First Nations engineering and why it is essential to recognise this expertise going forward? Well, we're really in a crisis with climate change and uh, biodiversity loss and land degradation. We really need to look at a culture that was much more sustainable. When changes were made, there was broad community consultation, um, there was decisions made based on the stories of that country. So a very deep understanding of those of that country is in the dreaming stories. And there's examples that um, around like Warana fish traps where the governance of that area is um, continuing with they want to put online. So these, these skills are being continued in the community and will flow on to future work. Um, the big budge beam fish, fish uh, eel traps there, that was a big lava flow that was re-engineered, like re-laid re out to be a very slow flow. Um, the water was put into sharp corners to stop the rapid flow to reduce, um, make it easier for catching the eels and for 
but making ponds to hold them. So they've a nice, nice cooling spot to hold the eels until you want to use, eat them. So very holistic. Mm. Yeah, this is a really important part of science that has been um, historically obscured since colonisation, I guess, by the domination of Western science. And you wrote a really great article about uh, First Nations engineering and science practices, which I'll make sure to link in our show notes when we do the podcast. Um, so next, the floods up north were really devastating and the impact is ongoing. There have been proposals of relocation for communities on flood, in flood-prone areas. So who is actually promoting the idea to relocate and why? Sometimes local leaders are suggesting this that are ignored, such as Pigeonhole, that's been asking for years to be relocated, and I expect it's funding. Uh, There's been a long attempt to withdraw people or support from these communities so that people will move out of remote places when they're not. These are often their homeland, and it's really important to live and care for country and keep country alive, basically. So the people don't want to move. If there's options maybe for... Or they, if it's really obviously, if they know it's a flood area, they will want to move. But if it's um, you know occasional flood area, there's other options. We've got constructions of um, houses on stilts. People used to live up the um, Meluka here around Darwin when the floods came in, and fish and um, hunt uh, and hunt birds from there. So it's there's our op- our options of raising above the flood until it recedes and. Yet these options are not offered in communities here often. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just about consultation of the community, like where do they really want to live? That It's a long process. And offering the technology that is, is available. Yeah. yeah. So what impact could relocation have on community members that aren't necessarily on board with this decision making and what you went into a few of the alternatives there there's some good examples of how people have survived on this land for thousands of years but um yeah could you expand a bit more on the alternatives to relocation um well one thing too it's Places like Derby and Fitzroy, which are a problem at the moment, they were located where the boat landed, basically. So the, cho- the choice of where the communities were often wasn't great. So this consultation would be really helpful. And we're looking at a technology like um, there's, you can put piles in by hand. So we're looking at where the community can start building where that suits them. So the community consultation would be much stronger. So you can actually manually um, put in these piles with a, a rotation or handle and that can be but you'll need more piles because they're not as strong but you can then build up your houses we're then looking at modular houses so that you have a hub that develops the panels or the components and these can then be shipped out to the surrounding uh, locations because usually there is some hub where the community was dumped or moved or um, Mm. you know a lot of communities moved and then people disperse from there to where they really want to live to their actual homeland the country they know, they know the ancestors were from. And so we can use this actual structure of this hub-and-spoke system to move our construction further out into um, remote areas. Even um, we're looking at mud brick. Yes, mud brick's not great in flood areas, but it's not so much damage if it's, it's, um, if it's washed away, then you rebuild, and there's that option of local rebuilding, which is certainly better than waiting for um, a construction team to come in. 
Yeah. So is your recommendation that these kind of um, innovations uh, in building need to be implemented by local and federal governments when thinking about, uh, I don't know, rebuilding after floods or, um, yeah, improving yeah. infrastructure after floods happen? Yeah, there's a, is a sort of push to get in um, those container-type houses, the house builder containers. They're hopeless for thermal properties, very hot and humid, and it's a push to rush and get them in and put them down which is going to then leave these lying around unused when something decent comes along. So it's, it seems a um, very rushed, rushed decision, whereas mm-hmm. if we had this more ongoing um, understanding that people had more control over their houses and were more involved in the building, then they A, they would choose a place because they know along the history of the area where it's going to flood. Um, they will hopefully avoid things like the bridge the Fitzroy was built in, practically into the floodplain and not and um, not yeah actually it's, sorry it stopped before the end of the floodplain like mm-hmm. the, the size of the floodplain wasn't appreciated so the local knowledge would be much more helpful in the design and the rebuild and it's means that community would need to be trained up but that as we said I said we're doing these virtual training so that community can learn in their community about the issues like thermal properties and be involved in redesigning houses for the right size for the right positioning that suits community because people live in groups that are um, often large groups the elders be one area away from the noisy kids, and these sort of groupings can be managed if we supply alternative design. And mm. it's just lack of, lack of options that's been provided. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it sounds like, um, I think you referred to them as stumps, but they seem like a really good alternative. And I find it really interesting, were you implying that people could install these in their own properties without having a um, construction team come in? Yeah, well, you need the resources, so you need, you know, training of local people, but they're not, they're not highly skilled mm-hmm. often the work. And by having the hub supply the panels and the main, mm-hmm. um, building work, then these can be clipped together on location. Um, it's trying to make the design more community controlled and mm-hmm. the, the components can be brought in. But it, yeah, what I was talking about dumping was the um, large container houses that are uh, just sort yeah. of rushed in dump. So that that's not suitable for anyone mm-hmm, in any place, mm-hmm. and it's sort of done as an emergency. Whereas there's got to be a long-term planning for what can happen in these communities and give them more control. Yeah, it sounds like short-term fixes really aren't um, the most beneficial thing for community. Uh, and I think we could all yeah. agree on that. We all want to have stability in our the place that we live and know that we've got ongoing safety. Um, so, been, oh yeah, I've been doing studies in Brisbane of people like, do you would you move given the flood's going to continue, and then looking at different designs and offering these. So why aren't they offering them in remote areas? It's, it's just frustrating that this knowledge is around that we could share it much more broadly, and it's not that expensive to build that way. Yeah, so speaking of that, do you have any specific recommendations for authorities who are in the process of developing future flood response plans? 
Well, uh, the problem with at the moment is uh, they get builders to uh, come into the building, mm-hmm. and if they get the job, they're happy. They don't mind if it floods because they'll get a job next year. So the, the authority, the authority's got to be much more focused on um, what the community wants and how they're going to respond and getting them engaged, because this takes long consultation. But as I said, they're doing it in Brisbane. They can start doing it in remote areas too, and focus more on the, like the men and women in the community. What's their knowledge of the water flows and um, what sort of areas they want to live in, why they want to live there, or where else. Just where else would they live? If the other thing is to explain things like, if we move you, we're going to move your shop and your your your, your sewage and everything mm. will move. Don't worry. <laughs> People might feel that if we're going to relocate the community, we're not going to relocate the services. So it's it, yeah, it, it's a lot of information sharing that needs to happen. Yeah, it sounds like there's a big breakdown in communication there. So just wrapping up our interview on a slightly different note, uh, I was. Yeah, really impressed by the work that you do and the knowledge sharing you do as a teacher. Uh, do you have any resources or words of wisdom for young folk out there who might want to contribute to the rich scholarship of First Nations science and technology in future? It's a really growing area in the sense of coming out publicly uh, to the mainstream. It's like the communities have had this knowledge, but it's been, it's hard to trust people to share it. So mm. it's it's much more common now. You'll see events. Um, there's the the um, I've forgotten his name. Could uh, he's Cody. He's um, got this big science um, organisation that does um, activities. Now uh, Michaela Jade does work in schools with gaming and things. So if there's any event around you like NADOC, there's um, state fairs that you can go to the community events. Go and talk to people and just get to know because it's, you basically young you know, mainstream people who aren't Aboriginal or even a lot of Aboriginal kids who haven't had access to much culture, you're coming in as a very young child into the community mm-hmm. and you need the stories to grow up. So you've got to start young and grow up. Whatever your age, you'll start young mm-hmm. and you'll start getting the stories and understand this process of the story sharing, which is where the knowledge is embedded. And... If you have expertise in a particular area, like you've already found you're a good programmer or good at um, some uh, skill, offer these to the local community co- Aboriginal companies. Say, look, you know, I like to do this, but I also want to learn about your culture. And people are really happy because they want to learn, like, Excel or other skills, whereas at the same time they'll teach you their way of working. And you'll get a good laugh. You'll get good fun because people joke a lot. It, it, community work is fun. <laughs> We, you've got a joke in the front of a lot of the hassles we get, and it'll also um, help you to reassess your assumptions and your approach just to technology in general through this work. So, yeah, do take up the chances. Yeah, thanks for that. I love the idea of yeah starting young, no matter what age you are. We don't always have access to the type of knowledge, um, I guess, the type of knowledge that's obscured by Western knowledge so yeah that's um a really interesting way to think about starting to learn about those things so thank you and then my last question is how can our listeners help 
in a practical way to centre First Nations uh, voices in land management going forward? Can we call our MPs? Is there anyone we can get in contact with? How can we help advocate? Um, well, first, I want to say what Victor Stephenson said on Q&A a few years ago. Put us in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. We have the knowledge of how to do this. It takes years, tens of years to teach it. So we haven't got time to teach you. We've just got to drive it. But we will put you in the passenger seat. We won't leave you behind. And this is really important that you can come along with us, but not like left behind like we were years ago. So um, there's groups like SEED, who are uh, indigenous group around, young Indigenous group around climate change. There's these groups that are active in the land management area. So you could get involved in them and see their process. Or you could just understand and promote amongst your friends and colleagues that Indigenous land management is the way forward. Indigenous people know how to care for country. They're not here to take over the country, to take resources out. They're here to care for it and ensure that any um, exploitation or resource gathering is done in a sustainable manner as possible. So just promote it amongst your, your friends and colleagues. And then you'll start hearing what's happening and be able to get involved more in particular activities that Aboriginal people are doing. That'd be great. Thank you, Kat. That is so, so important to remember um, going forward. So thank you for joining us this morning. It was a great chat. Well, thank you very much for having me. We just heard from Dr Kat Kutai, who joined us to unpack why relocation is not the answer for communities in flood-prone areas. Kat is a descendant of seafarers from Celtic and Aboriginal origin, and she works with Aboriginal communities for online language learning and story sharing as a way for Aboriginal culture and knowledge to be acknowledged and integrated into Australian science and engineering approaches. Hi, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm doing Black and Deadly on Fridays from 11 to 12 o'clock. Looking at all the best uh, Black and Deadly music, entertainers and performers around this country. Uh, Join me then from 11 to 12 Fridays. Community Radio, Thresia, 8.55 on the AM dial. And now we are going to go to a quick track, which is Heaven With You by Tasman Keith and Jessica Malboy. My world's been quiet. I walk through the dead. Found peace and silence. See more in the And I've seen the sin I've learned that dying
the choir's run shy. I search without envy and live without pride. I felt all the scars. I ran with the rain. I bathed in the sun. I held up for days. I lost all my hope to find it again. I know you see balance and peace in the pain. just heard Heaven With You by Tasman Keith and Jessica Malboy. And now we are going to an expert excerpt of the pro-trans anti-fascist rally, courtesy of Annie McLaughlin from Solidarity Breakfast, uh, recorded last Saturday, the 25th of March. We will hear from two speakers at the rally, Ros Ward, co-founder of the Safe Schools Coalition Victoria, and Andy Medic, former MP, parent of trans children and activist. I'd like to point out and highlight, in case people missed it, one of the things that the last speaker said about this tour actually being uh, funded by the right. Have people heard of CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference? We've got confirmation that they are actually paying for Keynes events to take place around the country. So much for standing up for women. So one of the other groups um, that's sponsoring uh, or backing this tour is Binary Australia. This is the rebranded wing of the No campaign in the Marriage Equality Plebiscite. Um, And it's a group that has uh, quite seriously um, targeted our our next uh, speaker, Roz Ward. Um, People would have heard of Roz um, from the Safe Schools Coalition, from socialist activism um, all around Melbourne, and for being the arch nemesis Um, of uh, the sponsors of this tour. So please make her very, very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, Yes, Binary Australia, what a shit show. Um, What a pathetic bunch of losers, honestly. They lost in marriage equality and they're going to lose again because we know on the left... We know in the queer liberation movement what it means to struggle, and I wanted to talk about that today. There's a new documentary on ABC. It's called Queer Australia. I recommend watching it because there's stories in there that you might not know about the history of LGBTI plus liberation in this country. I want to talk about some of the struggle 
that we stand on the shoulders of. The struggles of the activists in 1978 who organised a demonstration in Sydney in solidarity with the ninth anniversary of the Stonewall riots in America. Their march down Oxford Street in Sydney became a turning point in the history of the struggle for LGBTI rights after it was brutally attacked by the New South Wales police. The police are not on our side. They never will be on our side. Fuck the police. I want to commemorate the activists who were involved in ACT UP in the 1990s in this city in the fight to get AIDS recognised and treated and taken seriously by the homophobic politicians. Those activists who replaced the wooden crosses in the floral clock in the war memorial with flowers. The activists who abseiled into Parliament and who held a kiss-in in Burke Street Mall in the 1990s when the government banned an AIDS poster because it featured two men kissing each other. And I want to pay tribute to the Equal Love campaigners who would not take the second best options that were offered to us by the Labour Party. Let's remember that. Let's remember where the Labour Party stood on marriage equality because can, everyone can fucking claim it now, can't they? But it was Julia Gillard, apparently an anti-sexist, not really. Not my sister. It was Julia Gillard who said, oh, actually, the values of this country are the values of the Bible. That was Julia Gillard's position. And Penny Wong's position, if you remember, and I'll remind you, was, no, I know, I understand, but uh, the position of the Labour Party is not to support equal marriage. That was Penny Wong. You don't get to be a hero just because you're a lesbian if you're on the wrong side of history. Let's remember that. And I want to pay tribute to the young people that I worked with through the Safe Schools program from 2010 when we started. And I was talking to Andy Medic just before about the first school we ever supported a transgender young person to affirm her gender identity in Geelong. And the team of people that gathered around to offer their support and the questions that were raised about how is this going to go? Can we really do this in a school? And we answered that question with Safe Schools Coalition. That was the first person that I know in Victoria who affirmed their gender in school and I supported her. And we affirmed that that was possible dozens and dozens more times over in Safe Schools Coalition. And those trans and gender diverse young people who took that first brave step to say, this is who I am and you have to support me. That's who we're, there, we're here today to support as well. That their rights cannot be shoved back in the closet. That our rights as LGB people, as queer people, cannot be shoved back in the closet by these transphobic bigots, by the far right, by the conservatives who support them. Because we know what it means to struggle and sometimes struggle can sound like a negative thing. So I want to just make sure that we have the same understanding of struggle today. Actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, which I did, because, <laughs> you know, I'm a teacher, um, it says to make strenuous or violent efforts in the face of difficulties or opposition. 
an act of strongly motivated striving. We struggle because we have somewhere we want to get to. And whoever wants to fucking stand in our way, we'll fight them. That's what struggle is. So I want to say no to sexism, no to homophobia, no to transphobia. We will fight. We will win. Put the bigots in the bin. Put the bigots in the bin. We will fight. We will win. Put the bigots in the bin. Come on. so much uh, for that speech, Rod. Um, the next person um, that we have up to speak um, is Andy Medic. So Andy um, is a former MP, um, a supporter of LGBTI rights, a parent of trans children and an activist. So please make him welcome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. How amazing is Ross? Okay. Just extraordinary. But I want to start by saying that we meet here today on what was, is and always shall be the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Yes, my wife and I are the proud parents of two trans kids. Yes, we had been targeted. Yes, they had been targeted. But so has everybody else in the trans community. And we stand in solidarity with them. In my time in the parliament, I made no secret of what I supported. I wore my heart on my sleeve. Proud trade unionist, always will be. Proud campaigner for LGBTIQA plus rights, always will be. Always will be. There's a fight going on today in this world, in this country, in this state, and it's a fight on two fronts. It's a moral fight for the rights of our trans family. We have to protect them. Trans kids are 16 more times at risk of self-harm than any other cohort. 16 more times at risk of attempting or actually taking their own lives than any other cohort of youth in the world. And it's because of far-right fascist bastards who are standing out the front of our parliament now. It's a moral fight. It's a political fight. Because at the last election, people like me were targeted to be gotten rid of. We have in our parliament now far-right, homophobic, transphobic, openly politicians in our Victorian parliament and there are 18 of these bastards standing today in the New South Wales election. All of them whipped up by people like Kelly J. Kane. People who openly accept the support of neo-Nazis, of white supremacists, of anti-transphobes, sponsored by far-right, sponsored by Tories. There's an obligation for all of us to stand with our LGBTIQA plus community, all of them, all of them.
We have to. You're an ally like me. There's an obligation that you have to bring more allies to the cause. We cannot let their voices be louder than ours. I'll finish now, but I'll finish on something I said when I helped pass birth certificate reform in the upper house. I see you. I love you. And if needs be, with my last breath, I will stand in front of you and protect you. Thank you. We can't let their voices be louder than ours. Are we going to let their voices be louder than ours? No! Are we going to let them be louder than us? No! One more time, will we let them be louder than ours? We just heard from two speakers at the pro-trans anti-fascist rally last Saturday, uh, recorded by Annie McLaughlin from Solidarity Breakfast. So the first speaker we heard was Ros Ward, co-founder of Safe Schools Coalition Victoria, and then we also heard from Andy Medic, former MP, supporter of LGBTI rights and activist. And uh, so this coming Friday, tomorrow, marks Trans Day of Visibility, or also known as Trans Day of Vengeance. And you can go to the rally in Nam, Melbourne. It starts at 5.30pm uh, tomorrow. And... It will be departing from the State Library, 328 Swanston Street. So get down there and show up for the trans people in your life or for yourself to be with other trans people and advocate. This Friday is Trans Day of Visibility. After recent transphobic events in our city, we say enough is enough. Come to Transgender Day of Visibility Rally, now Melbourne, and reclaim our streets. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday for the March Through the City and Show of Strength and Resilience. Let's make this biggest rally for trans rights and the country has ever seen. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday for Trans Day of Visibility. For more information, contact the Victorian Pride Lobby via Facebook or email info at vitpridelobby.org.au. See you there. And you've just heard from the Trans Visibility Rally uh, promo. I also wanted to add that, you know, in retrospect of what's been happening and kind of the pylon for, you know, absolutely no reason on trans and gender diverse people, um, that, you know, counselling services are actually reporting a massive increase in trans folks calling for support um, ever since, you know, since this has been happening, but especially since the... Um, like the anti-trans rally that we saw, that was really horrific. Um, so it's really important that we do show up uh, this, yeah, this Saturday. Okay. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, 
$150 for a band or organization, and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Now we will hear an excerpt, um, sorry, <laughs> not an excerpt, a live interview, how fun. Um, we will be hearing from Priyanka Ashraf, who is a Muslim woman from Bangladesh who previously worked as a lawyer before transitioning into technology and entrepreneurship in establishing the Creative Cooperative, or the CCO, which is the first 100% woman-owned, led and operated social enterprise in Australia, working to close the intersectional and intergenerational wealth gap by supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, black and women of colour, in building shared economic power. And she joins us today to speak about the COO initiative, Maya Cares, which is an online platform where users can report racism, as well as get access to an entire library of culturally appropriate resources and services, including various lists of culturally appropriate counsellors. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Pregka. Hi, Inez. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and getting up early, too. (laughs) No worries. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Amazing. Well, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about the work you do and, you know, what Maya Cares is all about? Sure. So the Creative Cooperative exists to serve our various communities of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Black and women of colour, Our goal is, as you rightly said, to try and work towards closing the intersectional and intergenerational wealth gap. Um, That's obviously a really big problem to try and tackle, and the the small ways in which we try and do that is specifically through providing support across entrepreneurship in trying to power a whole new economy that's by and for us. But in doing this work, what we also recognise is that the work that we do and the work that the different entrepreneurs we work with do does not just consist of intellectual labor, but very much emotional labor. And that's a large part due to their intersectional identities. So if that's the starting point, not for everyone, by the way, but for many of us, if that's the starting point and because of the intersecting identities that we live with, and some of the compounding barriers we therefore experience. That means that when we show up, we are almost prohibited from being able to show up as our whole selves and meeting our full potential because at the end of the day, when 
<laughs> you're still trying to battle racism whilst you're trying to run a business or a small business or an initiative. You're not actually at the same starting line as everybody else. So that's one of the reasons we started thinking about how do we also tackle um, the mental health and well-being issues that arise as a result of racism. And it started specifically by looking at uh, women from our communities who are entrepreneurs, but obviously that also extends to people who aren't just women who aren't just entrepreneurs. So, yeah, that's that's how the idea for um, Maya Cares was sort of coming about. But really, the pinnacle for the idea was when I was in a supermarket um, I was in a grocery store in 2020, uh, and there was another white woman in the aisle, and she said something to me along the lines of, uh, "Why are there all of these people everywhere?" And I wish that they, I, I wish that they would just take their COVID-19 virus back with them. And that for me was a very confronting situation, and I went through a whole range of different emotions trying to understand what had just happened. Uh, my instinct was to confront that act and, you know, call it what it was. And I said that this is racist behavior. It's unacceptable. Um, but the odd thing is afterwards when I spoke with some friends about what had happened and actually most of them were women of color, they were quite, um, I think, like, uncomfortable with my response because now I think it's a little bit different, right? Like, we are – there's a lot more space to – openly speak up, whereas there wasn't this type of psychological safety to be able to do that, even amongst our own group, for many of us, even two years ago. So I think they were quite surprised by my reaction. Not all of them, not all of them, but some of them were surprised. And I think one of them also said something along the lines of, you know, like calling a white person racist is a pretty strong thing to do. So, you know, that to me further demonstrated that even in terms of how we respond to racism, it's such a complicated, I mean, of course it's a complicated reaction. There's just steeped in so much internalized colonization, so much internalized racism. How can you even start processing what's happened? And so, although for me, I responded the way that I needed to at the time, and that's what allowed me to process and start healing from that attack for a lot of for many of us, if we aren't yet able to process, perhaps because we haven't done that internalized um, decolonization work, mm. because not everyone has the access to that information and arguably the privilege to have that information, all of a sudden you're dealing with this situation. You know something's wrong. You don't have the language to try and articulate exactly what it is. So that is why we decided to come up with Maya Care. So it's not just necessarily about the experience. I personally faced that day, but if we think more broadly about the very diverse reactions that maybe, you know, my mom could have, right? Like, that's where we can see Maya Care also having a really big impact in supporting people who have very diverse reactions to racism. And 100%. they're not, yeah, they're not necessarily at the same journey as everybody else with the same language. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that, that that incident happened to you, but, you know, it's not. Um, you know, it's really sad that that's really common. And I personally can really relate to that, you know, being a South Asian woman myself and in predominantly white institutions, 
I've, you know, spoken up about racism many times and it gets really like, gets disheartening and frustrating and yeah. frightening sometimes. And you do, yeah. you do end up feeling quite alone and it does have a huge impact on almost all aspects of your health. And I know you've touched on some of this before, but what do you see as like some of the reasons as to why people can't and, and don't report, you know, incidents of racism? So it also disappoints me. I'm not surprised that you're saying you've experienced it too, and I'm really sorry for that. And I think what's disappointing is that we're not even surprised anymore when we hear this amongst our communities. Um, So I I guess, um, sorry, could you ask me that question again? I was just thinking about what you just said, you know, and it's, yeah, like even when we're having this discussion on your end, you've experienced it too. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I wanted to like dive, you know, very briefly um, deeper into why people, you know, can't report incidents yeah. of racism or, you know, you just just sure, don't sure. don't have the capacity to. Yeah, sure. So when we were talking to community and trying to understand exactly what we should even design and what we should even build, and we spoke to over 250 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Black and women of color. Um, in doing that. So it really is community informed. Um, a lot of people said that when they experienced racism, the first instance often felt like being gaslighted. Are you sure that happened? Um, and so that for us is obviously a really, uh, that kind of question creates so much damage because right away you're not believing the victim, right? Mm-hmm. Already there is labor on the victim to now have to report what has happened after just being traumatized by what has happened. And often in scenarios where they're being asked to recount what has happened, you know, the questions aren't necessarily framed in a way that says, I believe you. So right away, that's not creating a safe environment for people who can, you know, almost muster up all of the effort it takes to report, right? So then they're met with this environment of, yeah, we probably don't actually believe you. Now you've got to establish the burden of proof. You've got to prove to us that you've experienced this because we're assuming that it didn't happen and you've imagined it. So that was one of the things that we knew in offering an immediate response to a technology solution like Maya Cares. That's at least one thing that we can do immediately, which is say, I'm I'm sorry that this has happened to you. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Are you ready? Let's start. Um, so that com- so that really comes from the fact that we know how difficult it is to report, not just because of what our community said, also because we've been there too. And honestly, even if you do go ahead and report, apart from not necessarily being believed, A lot of people don't report because they might be afraid to report and the repercussions of that, whether that's within their own community or whether it's outside their community and fear of backlash from white people. Um, I think so often the conversations always, always focused on what happens externally, but um, intra-group racism is also a really big issue that we don't talk about, and it's also one of the reasons why we don't report. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I really yeah. relate to that because you can, um, yeah, it, it, the repercussions from your community can sometimes can be sometimes even more jarring because you don't want to, you know, let down your your family or um, you, you're trying to, you know, keep the 
reputation <laughs> in mind and that sometimes exactly. a really unfair burden. Oftentimes, yeah. you know, that's put on um, like women and like trans and gender diverse folks as well. And I think I am also really curious to know it's, you know, it's, it's so exciting that this platform exists and that it's like run and designed by, and also by people that have experienced racism. Could you tell us exactly a little bit more about like how it actually works? Like if I wanted to use it, what, what steps would I go through and then what kind of stuff would I see? Sure. Um, I just wanted to answer one last thing. Yeah, of course. The question in terms of reporting. I think what's also really, really important to recognize is that another reason why people don't report is because even if you do, the justice system isn't necessarily working for people when they do report and put themselves through the trauma and labor of having to go through such a clinical process. And at the end of the day, what is even done about it? So that's another big deterrent for why people have said that they they don't feel like they can report. Um, so in terms of us answering a question about how the platform works, so if a user visits the MyCares platform, um, right away they'll be asked, hey, have you experienced racism? Do you want to chat with Maya? So they can chat with Maya, who is a conversational bot, and she will ask them exactly what type of support you need right now. Because, again, when we spoke to community, different people said they had different support requirements. Some people, so Maya will ask, um, do you need help to, you know, I'm not sure what just happened, um, or I'm not sure if I just witnessed racism. Uh, can you help me work through that? So that's one of the options for a user or uh, it might be that the users identified that and they already know that that's what's happened and now they want to go ahead and access a culturally appropriate resource. In that case, Maya will point them to the resource library. Um, another option is also if someone does choose to report, again, reinforcing that not everybody wants to, nor does everybody have to, yeah. but if they do want to, then there is the support around how can you go about doing that because that's also not a straightforward process. And in fact, when I experienced, you know, that attack in the supermarket, I didn't actually know where to report. And a friend asked me, um, why didn't you report it? And I didn't know. And, you know, I'm an ex-lawyer. And if I have access to that information and didn't know, what about people who didn't study or work um, in law? So I'd say that's the platform is made up of two components. There's the chatbot and the resource library. And the resource library, by the way, doesn't recreate information. It actually links to really, really great resources that already exist and have been have been created by community. Um, and these resources are culturally appropriate resources. We really try to do a scan and try to consolidate as much as we can. So if you go on there, you'll see resources. You'll see lists of culturally appropriate counselors from uh, Polar Practice, um, from Shapes and Sounds. There's a lot of really, really great organizations and their work that's specifically listed there that you can click into. Amazing. Yeah, it sounds unbelievably exciting and really important. And, you know, as you mentioned, it, it, it's a tool um, that can be, you know, really beneficial. And, yeah, not everybody can or wants to support racism but it is something that is yeah that we can all work towards and that you've also kept a community in mind and you're not saying like this is what you need to do this is like it's like try to 
help and support, and I think that's really wonderful. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, our goal, you know, this is, I mean, like racism, it's such a complex problem, and there's so many people who are trying to work towards dismantling um, the system that is racism, and I think this is one of the ways in which we can start trying to do something different towards contributing towards that body of work. But again, it's not a perfect solution, and it's just the very beginning. And, you know, we're really, really keen to keep working with community to see how we can keep improving Maya Cares and make sure that she can deliver the support that we've been working so hard to try and design for. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today, Priyanka, and we'll put the information about Maya Cares in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Apologies if you heard a little behind the scenes. Um, this is a little taste of how enthusiastic I am with every guest <laughs> that comes through and letting them know they're amazing, stunning, beautiful. Um, and I will also mention, um, if you missed the end part of that interview or the little start of the intro, we just heard from Priyanka Ashraf, who is a Muslim woman from Bangladesh who previously worked as a lawyer before transitioning into technology and entrepreneurship in establishing the Creative Cooperative or the CCO, which is, you know, 100% women owned and really thinks about how to share economic power to really bridge that gap and improve access to mental health. And she joins us to talk about a uh, initiative, which is Maya Cares, which is an online platform where users can report racism as well as get access to an entire library of culturally appropriate resources and services, including various lists of culturally appropriate counsellors. And, you know, we're coming up to the end of the show, uh, so we're just going to play a little track and do a quick rundown. And this is Superstar by Seiko. I'm mm-hmm. 
You're back on Thursday breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is 8.28. And first up today, we heard from Dr. Kat Kutai, who joined us to unpack why relocation is not the answer for communities in flood-prone areas. We then went to an excerpt from the pro-trans anti-fascist rally, courtesy of Annie McLaughlin from Solidarity Breakfast. And tomorrow is Trans Day of visibility or trans day of vengeance. Uh, I understand this can be a really triggering time, especially with all the transphobic um, actions and discourse that's been happening. So if you need extra support, you can call Lifeline on 131114 or QLife on 1800 184 527. You can also call 13YARN for mob-only support on 139276. Yeah, it's really, really important that we, you know, all of us show up, uh, especially allies, um, because, you know, the Mind, Mind's LGBTIQ service, the Suicide Prevention Service Aftercare received actually two months of referrals in about two days. So um, that just shows the extent of the issue, and we really want to show up and support. And lastly, we heard from Priyanka Ashraf, who is a Muslim woman from Bangladesh, who previously worked as a lawyer before transitioning into technology. And she spoke about MayaCares, which is an online platform where users can report racism, as well as get access to an entire library of culturally appropriate resources and services, including various lists of culturally appropriate um, counsellors. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and... Thanks so much for joining us here today. Bye. Bye.